This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Tonight, two teen girls are dead and a young man is fighting for his life after their car ends up submerged in the Fraser River. Plus. Clearly it was not appropriate and I apologize for that. And now, Liberal leader Andrew Wilkinson is also apologizing for what are being called sexist remarks on a Zoom call. And actor John Cryer's seawall lost and found story and who he's giving thanks to. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us on this Thanksgiving Sunday. A tragedy unfolded on roads in Chilliwack this weekend. Two teens are dead and a young man is critically injured after the vehicle flipped late last night and ended up submerged in the Fraser River. And sadly, Paul Johnson reports that this isn't the first time lives have been lost on that stretch of road. By Sunday afternoon, small groups of young people were gathering near the Fraser River at the spot where this weekend's tragedy took place. There was a concrete barrier along Ballam Road in the stretch that this vehicle lost control and uh, the vehicle collided into that barrier and then subsequently flipped and went airborne into the Fraser River. Chilliwack RCMP got the call about 11.30 Saturday night and arrived to find the sedan upside down in the river. First Mounties on the scene went straight into the water, but the occupants couldn't be freed until they flipped the car over with a winch. Sadly, for two of them, there was nothing they could do. They immediately began life-saving efforts and CPR, but unfortunately, a 17-year-old female and an 18-year-old female were deceased on scene. There were signs of life, though, in the 21-year-old man who was in the car. He was airlifted to Vancouver General Hospital, where he's in critical condition. At this point, Mounties don't have an explanation for the cause of the crash. But at this stage in the investigation, they're ruling nothing out. It's not the first fatal accident on this stretch of Ballam Road, a rural place with cornfields on one side and the Fraser River on the other. In 2016, two men were killed in a similar accident when their truck hit the barrier and landed in the river. Expect Saturday's accident to have a devastating effect on the community. Fatal collisions are never easy, but ones involving youth are particularly hard. In Chilliwack, Paul Johnson, Global News. Police on Vancouver Island are releasing an image of a vehicle of interest in Saturday's fatal hit and run. This 1991 brown Chevy Suburban with damage to the driver's side headlight and bug screen was last seen on the Saturday 515 ferry from Duke Point to Tawasson. Hours earlier, the body of a woman in her 20s was found on Highway 19 near Parksville. Police believe she was the victim of a hit and run. RCMP are trying to track down the SUV and are interested in speaking to its owner. 
A tragic end to a disturbing incident in Surrey last week that involved police and sent a teenager to hospital. The family of Jackson Diggle confirms he was taken off life support this afternoon. Early Thursday morning, Surrey RCMP say they received a report of a possible robbery in progress near a business in Fleetwood and a man with a knife was attempting to rob people. The Mounties say the responding officer was pulling into a parking lot when a person opened fire. The police watchdog, the Independent Investigations Office, is involved. It's looking into whether or not an officer discharged a weapon and into a report that someone turned a firearm on themselves. Jackson's father is convinced his 17-year-old son would not have killed himself. The family says they have donated his organs and are now planning his memorial. To the controversy now that has triggered outrage right in the middle of the provincial election campaign, B.C. Liberal candidate Jane Thornthwaite is being slammed after sexualized remarks she made on a video recording about an NDP candidate, namely Bowen Moss, surfaced this weekend. Those comments were made with leader Andrew Wilkinson present. Grace Key has the details, including a global exclusive, Thornthwaite's apology. Bowen is, you know, very pretty lady, and uh, she knows that she's got it, and um, she knows how to get Ralph going. That's just the beginning of the comments that have put Liberal MLA candidate Jane Thornthwaite under scrutiny. She made the comments during a September 17 roast for retiring Liberal MLA Ralph Sultan regarding NDP candidate Bowen Ma. Bowen would be right up, right next to him, cuddling, 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 a there, and, and Ralph would be enthralled with her. The video was made public by CKNW contributor Mo Amir. Thornthwaite was referring to a Capilano University luncheon. She has since made an apology and reached out to Ma. Uh, my uh, remarks at the roast, and it was a roast, we were supposed to be making fun of Ralph Saltan. That was the whole intent. Um, the intent was to, to be funny, and in retrospect, obviously, it fell flat, and I apologize for that. I have reached out to Bowen. I uh, did leave a message on her voicemail. She didn't pick up. But I also gave her an apology as well. And obviously, I've got to do better. In responding to the sexual characterization of sitting next to Sultan on the couch, Ma says she's been cautious to avoid sexist interpretations into her actions, such as deliberately speaking closely with an elder who is very hard of hearing. Adding, Thornthwaite's comments are a deeply uncomfortable characterization of my efforts to extend kindness across partisan lines. Young women deserve a province that encourages them to take on leadership roles without fear of sexism. If we want more young women and people of color to enter politics, we must commit to creating environments that respect them. The comments and reaction in that video do the exact opposite. Okay. The call included Mike DeYoung, Karen Kirkpatrick, Kevin Falcon, Jess Ketchum, Jordan Sturdy, BC Liberal leader Andrew Wilkinson, and Gordy Hogue. Wilkinson apologized on Twitter, saying, on reflection, those comments were inappropriate, and it was right for Jane to apologize. I want to apologize to Bowen Ma, as this never should have happened. BC Green Party leader Sonia Furstenau tweeted, This is appalling. If women are not warm in the workplace, we are castigated as rude. If we are friendly, 
We get this. While some have been and calling for Thornthwaite's resignation, she says she will not be stepping down. I, I've got a lot of work ahead of me to do. Uh, my, my work, as you know, has been uh, to help individuals, to help some of our less uh, vulnerable people, and I'm going to continue that work. And um, that's why I'm not going to step down. Grace Key, Global News. Legislative Bureau Chief Keith Baldry joins us now. Uh, some people are dining on turkey tonight, others clearly eating crow. Keith, just how bad is this for the Liberals? Yeah, it's a disaster. I don't think you can dress this up uh, in any more positive light than that. Uh, the BC Liberals clearly, clearly are playing catch-up in this campaign. The NDP's had a wide lead in the polls, seven consecutive polls with an 18-point lead, so they cannot afford uh, missteps. And this is more than a misstep. This is a serious step backwards. The Liberals have been trying to, be, sort of been under the gun since the 2017 election, to rebrand themselves, renew themselves, become younger and more diverse. They haven't been able to do this, and this incident now just underscores that problem that they have with voters. It's a very old party, an old caucus as well. And interestingly enough, Andrew Wilkinson was on that call. He has not made any comments publicly other than on Twitter, and he hasn't even talked to Jane Thornthwaite about that, at least according to Jane Thornthwaite uh, in her conversation with Grace Key. And I want to know, did Andrew Wilkinson say anything to you about this comment? Has he spoken to you about this? He has not. He has not? No. How much do you think this is going to hurt, your comments are going to hurt liberals? Well, I, I, as I said, I'm coming out to you today to apologize. I, I was part of a group that did a roast and um, the intent was to be funny and obviously it wasn't and I apologize for that. So I don't think this is going to go away anytime soon, Colleen. Uh, Andrew Wilkinson eventually is going to have to say something publicly on this, uh, not just uh, on Twitter. And of course, he does have a chance to sort of get things back on track here because Tuesday night is the leaders' debate. 6.30, we broadcast live here on Global from 6.30 to 8. That's really the first introduction for Andrew Wilkinson to many people who he has not had a big profile before the, the election. And in this election, it's hard to connect with voters because there's really no event. So he's got a chance to sort of get things back on track on Tuesday, but I think the challenge is a pretty pretty uh, onerous one and a daunting one because this is a setback the Liberals did not need at all considering where they are in the polls with the NDP. All right, Keith, thanks so much for that. And as Keith mentioned, the BC Liber Leaders Debate airs Tuesday night starting at 6.30 following an abbreviated news hour on Global BC, BC One and online. Then be sure to stay tuned to BC One and online at 8 o'clock for the post-debate special with our own Sophie Louie, Chris Galis, Keith Baldry and our political panel. That is all on Tuesday night. The BCSPCA says a mother dog and her 10 puppies are now in foster care after they were beaten and force-fed drugs and alcohol. The animals were seized and taken to the Prince George SBCA after a complaint from a concerned citizen who reported seeing the four-year-old German short-haired pointer and one of her puppies being abused. A vet check revealed fractures and scarring and evidence of past abuse. Toxicology tests confirmed the dogs had ingested drugs. All are recovering and will be ready for adoption soon. A group of activists protested outside a future poultry farm in Kelowna today. Darian Matassafong spoke with the animal rights demonstrators about their message on this Thanksgiving Sunday and what the farmers had to say. 
There are other ethical decisions when you're shipping in the food that you're eating. Carol Patton facing head-on a group of activists gathered outside of her future turkey farm and processing facility to protest its opening the day before Thanksgiving Monday. Here today to highlight the negative impacts that will undoubtedly happen due to the opening of a turkey farm and slaughterhouse called Patton behind us here. Amy Serrano, one of the organizers, says the protest is more than just fighting for animal rights. Turkey farms are major air and water polluters, which often make people very, very sick. And studies have shown that violent crime rates increase significantly whenever slaughterhouses open. And we know that COVID-19, the largest outbreaks of COVID-19 in Canada, have been at slaughterhouses. They have launched an online awareness campaign as well. The activists want patent farms to be completely meat-free. We've got almost 500 signatures at this point, and it was only launched within the last week. So clearly people are having feelings towards the slaughterhouse being opened. While Patton says she respects their right to protest, she's proud that her business will provide a sustainable source of local food for her community. Our ethics and our morality and our driving, part of what drives us, is seeing our local community strengthened. Patton says her and her husband are doing nothing wrong and feels like the protest is a personal attack. We're a small farm. We have had turkey farms, uh, poultry farms since 1994. So I can speak to the fact that I too am concerned about the environment. I too am concerned about treating animals well. The turkey farm is slated to open in late 2020 or early 2021. Darian Matasafung, Global News, Kelowna. A snowfall warning has been issued for the Okanagan connector between Merritt and Kelowna. Environment Canada says a fast-moving frontal system will combine with falling freezing levels overnight, bringing snow to high-elevation mountain passes. As much as 15 centimetres is possible for the connector, as well as the Penasca and Kootenai Pass summits. And on the lower mainland, some light snow was also spotted falling on Grouse and Cypress Mountains today, their first snow of the season. Meteorologist Yvonne Shaw will have more in the forecast that's coming up. A possible COVID-19 exposure has closed West Vancouver's Hollyburn Country Club until further notice. The private club closed its doors Saturday evening on advice from Vancouver Coastal Health and will undergo a rigorous cleaning. Contact tracing has confirmed cases of the virus linked to exposure at Hollyburn. Anyone at the club between October 1st and 6th is advised to self-monitor for coronavirus symptoms. Hollyburn is urging its members to be more vigilant in following COVID-19 protocols. Many families have struggled to help their loved ones recover from COVID-19, but what happens when a, an entire family falls ill at the same time? Well, one lower mainland family of five found out the hard way. Sarah McDonald has their story and their message. It's something thousands of British Columbians by now have first-hand experience with. Living with COVID-19 and the often slow and grueling recovery process. Anson and Kara San and their three daughters are part of that club. The virus was pretty strong. It's harder for my body to fight compared to like in the past when I had a flu. The family fell ill back in August. First, Karis, and then one by one, her husband and children. But as the ants isolated themselves physically from the rest of the world... You were the last one to get positive. They also found a way to become more connected than ever, taking to YouTube last month to share their journey with the support network that saw them through, including the Richmond Church where Anson is a pastor. 
It was a challenge because both Kers and I got sick first. They deliver meals to us every single day for two straight weeks. The church the Ansons serve ended up serving them through a challenging, uncertain couple of weeks, delivering meals and toys and company through phone and video calls. Now symptom-free, the Ansons credit their community and health workers for emerging on the other side even stronger. I would hope that people would really be mindful of those who, like maybe single people, people who are elderly who are living by themselves, you really need a supporting network. And they also have a message for the public at large. Another reason they're sharing their story of recovery and a return to some semblance of normalcy. We need to be cautious, but at the same time, we need to um, still do something. We can overcome this. We can overcome this. Urging all of us to be cautious of our physical and mental well-being and mindful of others as the case count continues to climb. Sarah McDonald, Global News. With public washrooms in B.C. scarce during the pandemic, Whistler is forging ahead on two of the much-needed amenities. Two new permanent public washrooms are being built in Whistler Olympic Plaza and the Passivhaus at Lost Lake. Construction began in May. The Lost Lake washrooms are expected to be open this winter, followed by the ones in Olympic Plaza next spring. A third public washroom is planned for Gateway Loop. The project is funded through the province's Resort Municipality Initiative. Whistler's mayor says the need is even more important with COVID-19 restrictions, restricting rather access to public and private washrooms. The RCMP has told Mounties they are no longer permitted to wear an image that's used to show solidarity with police and their families. The black and white Canadian flag with a thin blue line is widely displayed but isn't an official RCMP badge. And Catherine Urquhart explains how symbols are changing now along with the times. They're known around the world for their red serge dress uniform. Members of the RCMP are strictly guided by a uniform and dress manual. Their appearances are now the focus of a controversial internal memo about members wearing a thin blue line. My reaction was one of surprise and concern. On Friday, Mounties across the country received a directive saying in part, the subdued flag with a blue bar has become widespread in North America as a sign of solidarity and support for police. While this may be common, it is not an approved symbol and is not to be worn on our uniform. Growing scrutiny of the police and calls for reforms are also referenced in the edict, which states... We have been a focal point in difficult public conversations about the role of police in our society. Within policing communities across North America, the thin blue line has long been a symbol of support for one another. It really depicts the line that police officers walk every day, um, keeping society free from chaos. But critics say the symbol ignores the larger issue of police violence against racialized communities and promotes an us versus them mentality. It has a much, um, and I'm going to use this word deliberately, much darker side um, that is very much associated with um, being anti-Black Lives Matter, um, being you know pro-racial profiling. Regardless of criticism and the RCMP directive, many officers are vowing to continue wearing the thin blue line. We've also commissioned some uh, custom blue line patches and we'll be um, sending them out to all of our members across Canada. Members who don't adhere 
could face code of conduct reprimands. RCMP management perhaps forced to choose between supporting the rank and file and pressure to make changes to the face of policing in Canada. Catherine Urquhart, Global News, Vancouver. COVID-19 cases have now surpassed the 7 million mark in India. It comes after almost 75,000 new infections were recorded over the past 24 hours, with more than 900 new deaths reported in the country. Despite the rise, the government is pushing to reopen all public transportation, markets and other public spaces to bring its economy back online. India has the second highest number of infections just behind the United States, which is approaching the 8 million mark. Large crowds gathering in London continue to be cause for concern as the region looks to gain control over COVID-19. A, pand- a cricket game rather broke out in the middle of the street in Peckham as pubs shut down for the 10 o'clock curfew. That drove hundreds of people into the city streets to cheer, most not wearing masks or keeping their distance. British Prime Minister Boris Johnson is expected to announce new regional lockdown restrictions tomorrow as fears grow that hospitals could become overwhelmed in coming weeks. Prince William gave his first ever TED Talk yesterday, virtually, of course, outside of Windsor Castle. The shared goals for our generation are clear. Together, we must protect and restore nature, clean our air, revive our oceans, The Duke of Cambridge focused on climate change, saying we need to strive to build a waste-free world by 2030 to ensure a healthier, cleaner and better life for us all. Other speakers and activists at the online event included actress Jane Fonda, Pope Francis and former U.S. Vice President and environmental activist Al Gore. Meghan, the Duchess of Sussex, has opened up about the online abuse she received since joining the royal family. This weekend, she and her husband, Prince Harry, joined a podcast called Teenager Therapy as part of World Mental Health Day. Meghan spoke about online trolling during her conversation with students from a California high school. I'm told that in 2019, I was the most trolled person in the entire world, male or female. But what was able to just be manufactured and churned out, it's almost unsurvivable. Five teenagers created the groundbreaking podcast to explore mental health issues. Today marks the ninth annual International Day of the Girl, a United Nations initiative designed to amplify the voices of young women while promoting gender equality. I'm really involved with the climate movement. That's one thing that I'm really passionate about. Um, But I'm also really involved with gender equality. Charlene Rocha is a 16-year-old Canadian climate activist who says it's important to listen to young girls as they advocate for change. Rocha says that she's been inspired by other young women, including Greta Thunberg and Canadian activist Autumn Peltier. A new book co-authored by former Conservative MP Ronna Ambrose is looking to inspire more young women to take action by highlighting the work of girls around the world. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. 
The unusual wedding where getting cold feet wasn't really an option. We're going to explain right after Yvonne's forecast. And we have another wedding story for you, too. But first, California's Oakland Zoo has a few more little cuties to care for. These two female mountain lion cubs were rescued after the worst fire season in California's history. The two cubs lost their mother in the so-called Zog Fire that burned some 56,000 acres earlier this month. They are receiving treatment and care from the zoo, which plans to introduce them to a male cub also orphaned in the Zog fire. And Yvonne, so we are going from fire season to snow. <laughs> yes, uh, we've uh, changed over quite quickly here along the south coast and in the interior. We've got the first significant snowfall of the season, accumulating snowfall if you're heading along the mountain passes. And a reminder, as of October the 1st, you need snow tires if you are traveling along the mountain passes. I'll have those amounts in just a moment, but a quick glance at what it looks like overlooking English Bay. We've got very windy conditions, especially for areas that are closer to the water and a special weather statement still in effect for all areas or most areas along the south coast. We're sitting at nine Right now, we've got a northeasterly wind at 22 kilometers per hour. Here's the wave of rain that we're tracking. It'll ease off, especially as we get in overnight. It'll be much drier for our Thanksgiving, and we've got the opportunity to walk off that turkey, and I'll show you more in just a moment. A look at some of the winds today, sustained on the left side, so out of the airport up to 30, but we have seen gusts of closer to 40 kilometers per hour to Wasson today, and Sandheads with 48 kilometers per hour. Now, the following areas that are in yellow, that's where you have the special weather statement for the west western edge of the island could still see gusts of up to 80 kilometers per hour and the wind warning is for Victoria so sustained winds 30 to 50 but there are gusts potentially up to 90 kilometers per hour it'll still be very windy for all areas across the south coast overnight and leading in towards the morning hours for our Thanksgiving so a heads up very windy for tomorrow morning and then tapering off as we get closer towards the noon hour we're still tracking some rainfall an additional 10 and potentially up to 20 millimeters for most areas but it's really the concern will be the winds uh, the rain is going to taper off. We'll see that overnight. Tomorrow morning, very windy. Temperatures will be cool, sitting at 11 degrees, and we've got some sunshine in the mix. Dry for our Thanksgiving Monday along the south coast, and then the next round of rain is going to push in late Monday night. Here's a quick glance at the future cast. So we are looking at a nice break for tomorrow morning. Through the day tomorrow, it should remain dry along the south coast, and it looks like the next system is going to push in, but it'll be late overnight, and this takes us in towards our Tuesday morning, where we still have another round of rain significant and very blustery once again. A quick glance, this is what it looks like along the Allison Pass. We're actually seeing the first significant snowfall with the snow level dropping. We've got a cooler air mass, a drop anywhere between 1,300 to 1,500 meters and we are looking at that snow, especially near the summits. Now the snowfall warning is along the Connector and Kootenai Pass with up to 5 centimeters. All areas below, it's a special weather statement where we're seeing 5 centimeters this evening, but a heads up, we've got another round of snow that is going to push in Monday night into Tuesday, for example, and along the Allison Pass, it'll be an additional 5 and up to 10 centimetres. Areas near the Coquihalla from Merritt to Kamloops, as well as the Rogers Pass, will see an additional 5 centimetres. So we are going to see snowfall along the mountain passes overnight, leading in towards our Monday morning and then once again in towards Tuesday morning. Now, the northern half of the province, tomorrow we're tracking showers. Temperatures will be up to 12 degrees. Much of the central interior, cloud cover in the morning. A clearing is on the way towards the afternoon. Columbia could see a few ice 
isolated flurries just for the morning hours, changing over to showers. Showers for the Thompson Okanagan, more clearing on the way towards the afternoon. We do have a dry start across Metro Vancouver, but still very windy for Thanksgiving in the morning, and then it clears out. We've got a blustery day once again on Tuesday, and then Wednesday onwards, a nice drying trend. For tomorrow, though, some nice breaks, some sunshine in the mix, and temperatures up to 14. Colleen? Nice for those who have the day off. Thanks so much, Yvonne. Well, love the air, quite literally, over the skies of Albuquerque, New Mexico yesterday, as one couple said, I do, in a hot air balloon. Pandemic restrictions meant they needed to get creative. The balloons allowed for the couples and the wedding party to stay in their own bubbles and take in some breathtaking views. The couple says it may not have been the walk down the aisle they had imagined, but it was the ride of a lifetime. Absolutely gorgeous. Actor John Cryer found himself in a predicament while here in Vancouver, one that many spouses have found themselves in. He lost his wedding ring. The actor, best known for his roles on Two and a Half Men and as Lex Luthor on the Vancouver film Supergirl, posted a thread on Twitter today saying that he'd lost his wedding ring while on the seawall. He tweeted, I was walking along the seawall, headed to meet a few folks from the cast. I pulled my hand out of my pocket and I heard a ping to my left. I walked a couple more steps and realized my wedding ring was gone. He later listed his lost wedding ring on Craigslist's lost and found section and spotted an ad for ring finders. I got lucky. Uh, Probably three minutes into the search, I found it in the middle of the grass in a three-foot area, the only place the ring could have hid from, from anybody else. His reaction it was like most people's, kind of disbelief like, and, and shock and surprise, and he was happy. How does this feel? Oh no. Oh, you're kidding me. <laughs> <laughs> there you that go. That is beautiful, man. That is absolutely beautiful. Wow. Thank you. That is the one. Now, wait, we have to check it. Like a oh, I moment. have no doubt. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it what a relief. A Thanksgiving indeed. <laughs> oh, good for him. He did look very happy in that photo, though. Nice. Do nice. not want to lose the wedding ring. No, no. not a good thing. Yeah. Not a good thing. Barry, what have you got coming up? Well, uh, Chase Claypool, who I interviewed in his home in Langley, uh, Four months ago when he got drafted by the Pittsburgh Steelers. Right. Today on the field, he did something that no Canadian player has ever done before in the NFL. It was spectacular. With oh. all the highlights, we'll hear from Chase. Seahawks are on the field, aren't having a very good first half. Super busy day in sports today. We'll have it all coming up. Scene is making a slow return after COVID restrictions closed venues and silenced many bands for months. But New Westminster's Massey Theatre has been holding physically distanced shows. And next weekend, a live concert series will launch. Kristen Robinson has more. Like many live venues, the Massey Theatre's seats filled with an eerie pandemic silence. But the music is coming back. The Boom Booms will soon take the stage, kicking off a socially distanced fall concert series. We got an offer to play here and we said, yes, we're going to play here. The Vancouver indie soul band jumping at the chance to perform even for just 4% of the Massey's 1,260-seat capacity. As you can see, we have a sea of seats here, and uh, we'll just be putting 50 people into them. The New West Theatre slowly opening its doors to much smaller audiences, and an industry hit hard by COVID. It can... 
completely decimated, destroyed, annihilated it, essentially. We're a band that really vibes off live crowd, and we can't do that anymore, um, which really sucks. With all but one of their gigs canceled this past summer, the band thrilled to be rehearsing again. So the problem in the performing arts is that 50 uh, people, it's hard economically to square that with production costs and payment for artists. With some funding, a sustainable venue, and the federal wage subsidy keeping staff on the payroll, Massey is making it work. During this crazy time, a chance to play for people, even though it's 50 people per show is still better than anything. There's nothing like that energy exchange, and I think it's absolutely essential for well-being. The box office unlocks for four live shows starting October 16th. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Barry's here with sports, kicking things off with a little NFL. Some uh, football, big local twist in uh, the highlights tonight. Thanks, Colleen. The uh, number of Pittsburgh Steelers fans in Abbotsford has skyrocketed the past few months, ever since uh, Abbotsford's secondary and Notre Dame University standout receiver Chase Claypool was drafted by the Steelers. Claypool was a second-round pick. Many thought he should have been a first-rounder, and today Claypool showed he's as good as any rookie receiver in the NFL as he scored four touchdowns for the Steelers today. No Canadian has ever scored four in an NFL game before today. The Steelers are just realizing what a weapon Claypool is on offense. First quarter, they hand it off to him near the goal line. Claypool takes it in for his first rushing touchdown of his young career. 7-0 Steelers lead. Second quarter, Ben Roethlisberger will hit Claypool in stride over the middle. He will dodge one tackle and then just cruises in for his second touchdown of the game. His size-speed combination so tough to defend. Goes about 6'4", 230, but he's so fast. 17-14 at the half. Early third quarter, Roethlisberger with the quick hitter to Claypool, who goes in for his hat-trick touchdown. Just get the ball in his hands, and he does the rest, uh, using him in so many different looks here today. That's his third touchdown, and then in the fourth, he does something no other Canadian's ever done. That score four touchdowns in a game. Somehow he gets behind the Eagles secondary, 35-yard TD, Claypool, the first Steelers rookie also to ever score four TDs in the game as Pittsburgh goes to 4-0 thanks to Claypool, 38-29 over at the Eagles. It is, it is definitely insane. It's crazy, but I don't really like to think about breaking records or do, making history. Um, it is super cool, but it's not something um, that I go into the game like, oh, I'm trying to, trying to make history today, you know. I really just think of I'm trying to do little things to help my team win, uh, mistake-free football. Um, so maybe when I go home, uh, call my family, they'll probably, I'm sure they'll tell me uh, all the things that, that happened. Seahawks in primetime tonight at home to the Minnesota Vikings. Vikings drive the field on their opening possession. Very impressive. Dalvin Cook takes it in eight yards for the touchdown. And it's 7-0 Minnesota. The Seahawks offense didn't see much of the field in the first half. Minnesota just controlled the ball when they were on. Russell Wilson gets sacked. One of the four sacks they got to wrestle in the first half. 13-0 Minnesota at the break. Seahawks got some catching up to do. Meanwhile, NFC West rivals LA Rams visiting Washington. Second quarter, Rams down 7-6, but not for long. Jared Goff up top to Robert Woods. 56-yard touchdown. 20 to 10, Los Angeles at half, and the Rams were really never in any danger. Goff to Daniel Henderson for the 11-yard score to seal the deal as the Rams 
improved to four and one right on the Seahawks heels, 30 to 10, the final over Washington. 49ers at home to the Miami Dolphins. All of San Francisco's injuries on defense starting to catch up to them. Second quarter, Ryan Fitzpatrick finds Devontae Parker, 22-yard touchdown, 30 to seven Dolphins at the half. Third quarter, Fitzpatrick to Preston Williams, another perfect delivery. This one goes for 32 yards, and the Dolphins beat up the 49ers 43-17 as San Fran falls to 2-3 and three on the season. Raiders and Chiefs, Kansas City trying to stay perfect. Everything was according to script for most of the first half. Patrick Mahomes escapes the sack, and then on the run, slings a perfect strike to Sammy Watkins, 8-yard touchdown. Mahomes threw for 340 yards and two touchdowns, but it wasn't enough. David Carr was dealing for Vegas, going for it all late second quarter. 72-yard touchdown pass to Henry Ruggs. Raiders and Chiefs in a shootout, 24 all at the half. But the Raiders really took over the game in the second half. They got a pair of rushing touchdowns from Josh Jacobs. And the Raiders hand the Chiefs their first loss of the season, 40-32 at Arrowhead Stadium. And it looks like the Dallas Cowboys will be without quarterback Dak Prescott for the rest of the season. He suffered a serious ankle injury on this play. It was gruesome for sure. He knew it was bad, was carted off the field, expected to have ankle surgery tonight. Well, COVID continues to wreak havoc on the NFL schedule. The Patriots-Broncos game, which was rescheduled for Monday, has been rescheduled again for next Sunday afternoon because of another positive test with the Patriots. That move has forced the league to juggle other future games and bye weeks. But best to do it now before it really gets out of hand and could cause some real damage to the season. In NHL news, Taylor Hall has signed a one-year, $8 million deal with the Sabres. Hall played in Arizona last year, was a Hart Trophy winner in New Jersey a few years back. No other significant NHL free agent signings today. I guess everyone's watching football like us. French Open men's final, King of Clay, world number two, Rafa Nadal meeting world number one, Novak Djokovic. 56th career meeting between the two. Pretty even, except at Roland Garros, where Djokovic has won just once. But that's one of the two losses that Rafa's suffered ever at this tournament. But it was all Rafa. Bagled Djokovic, sixth love in the opening set. Second set, 34-year-old Nadal showing that incredible movement. Just gets to everything. This was one of the best points of the match. Djokovic, just no answers. As Rafa finishes with a beautiful angle volley at the net as he took the second set, six games to two. Go to match point, and Adal will finish with the ace. Incredibly, it's his 100th victory at Roland Garros. His record, 100 wins versus two losses. That's ridiculous. That's at the French Open. It's his record, 13th title, 19th career Grand Slam, so just one behind Roger Federer's record of 20. History made in Germany today in Formula One. Lewis Hamilton starting behind Mercedes teammate Valtteri Bottas at the Eiffel Grand Prix. And he was gifted the race when Bottas locked up his tires midway through the race. Lewis Hamilton goes on to win his 91st career Formula One race, tying him with Michael Schumacher for the most in F1 history. Schumacher's son, Mick, gave Hamilton one of his dad's racing helmets after the race to mark the milestone. Well, just when you think the Whitecaps' playoff chances are hopeless, they go out and get a huge win. Last night, they scored two quick late second-half goals to pull out a 2-1 win over Real Salt Lake and keep themselves in the mix. Caps had been outscored 13-1 in their last four matches, all losses. They were down 1-0 with just 20 minutes to go, but they got a break. Michael Baldissimo's free kick is headed in. 
by a RSL defender, an own goal. The Caps will take it. Friendly fire. Moments later, Freddie Montero stopped, but Lucas Cavallini scores on the rebound, and the Caps win 2-1. They're just a point out of a playoff spot. They host LAFC Wednesday night in Portland. Final round of the KPMG Women's PGA Championship from Philadelphia, a major on the LPGA schedule. Canada's Brooke Henderson began the day in second, just two off the lead, but struggled. This sums up her day. Perfect shot at the pin, bounces off, off the green, two over on the front, and she was never in it. She did have this great tee shot on the par 3 14th. Almost holds this one for the ace, made her only birdie of the day there. Brooke finishes sixth at three under par and you can tell she was not happy with that final round after playing so well in round three to get in contention. South Korea's Se Young Kim was in a league of her own. She fired a sparkling bogey-free seven under 63 with all that pressure, just didn't make any mistakes or miss any putts. She finishes at 14 under, five better than Inby Park. Se Young Kim wins the Women's PGA Championship, her first ever major. Meanwhile, final round of the Shriners Hospitals for Children open from Vegas. That is called a really bad lie in the bunker for Scotland's Martin Laird. Had to take a huge hack at it. Not only does he get it out, what a shot! he sinks it for an eagle. What a shot by Martin Laird. It did go to a three-man playoff between Laird, Matthew Wolfe, and Austin Cook. Second playoff hole. Laird loves the drama. Drains the long birdie for the win as he gets the Shriners. Tough day for Adam Hadwin. Shot a three over 74 today after a nine under 62 yesterday. Hadwin finished 34th. Game six NBA finals. Lakers with another chance to win the championship against Jimmy Butler in the heat. You knew LeBron would be ready to close it out. Big first quarter for James. Drives for one basket. uh, Throws down on the breakaway jam. He had nine as the Lakers led by eight. But they outscored Miami by 20 in the second half to blow it open. Rajon Rondo's had a big game. It's 92-69 in the fourth as the Lakers are just minutes away from winning another NBA title. And baseball's uh, league championship series starting today in San Diego. That's where the uh, Rays and Astros are playing in the American League championship series. Jose Altuve gave the Astros the early lead, but Tampa now leads 2-1 in the sixth, and we'll have highlights of that one tonight. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point-of-sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. At 11. We were just discussing how uh, I'm wearing Uggs, Ivana's wearing gumboots, and Barry, you've got runners on. Yeah. We only, we only need no to be good from the, the waist up. Yeah, we're, we're ready for the weather, you know. Um, <laughs> finally tonight, we want to tell you a, a really sweet story. A Thanksgiving meal where the birds are not being eaten, they're being fed as the guests of honor. The Happy Herd in Aldergrove is a rescue sanctuary where chickens, turkeys, pigs, and several farm animals live out their lives in peace and safety. Normally, they'd have a vegan Thanksgiving potluck for the turkeys with about 30 invited guests. But of course, COVID-19 canceled that. The farm has two new turkeys this year. A nine-year-old named Peeps arrived just last month. April, an escapee from a factory farm, showed up last spring. Happy Herd relies on donations, of course, and if you're interested in helping them out, their website is happyherd.org. We're just having a quiet, you know, 
thank you to the turkeys on a personal level. What are they getting for dinner on Thanksgiving? Well, we had quite an assortment. We had some really nice rice that was brought to us by one of our volunteers and some lettuce, uh, slices of apples, a little bit of cranberry, and some corn. If anybody would like to donate, all the money does go directly to the animals to pay for their vet care, their feed, their housing, and uh, any more animals that we can have room to take in. So we've had quite a few come and join us this year. Aww. Jordan has been out to visit. I'm Linda, if you're watching, I'm coming out to visit <laughs> next Wednesday if the weather holds. We shall see. That is the news hour for tonight. Jordan is here at 11 o'clock. On behalf of all of us here at Global BC, thanks for joining us and happy Thanksgiving.